Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Valley Point Church is a faith community located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. Our mission is pointing people to real relationships and real significance. This week continues our series, The Story. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Well, happy Palm Sunday. It is great to see you. And Palm Sunday in the liturgical calendar launches what is commonly known and referred to as Holy Week, or the week leading up to the death and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. This was quite a week for Jesus. Six days before the Passover, he rode into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey, and Scripture tells us that the crowds went wild. They welcomed him and threw a parade for him reminiscent of a conquering king or a warrior, and that is the scripture that was read to us. But here's what we need to know about that. They really didn't recognize who Jesus was, because this welcoming crowd in just five short days quickly turned to an angry mob demanding the death of Jesus. Of course, Jesus knew all of this was going to take place, and yet he willingly walked that path so that he could pay the price for our sins. That is Palm Sunday. And again, it launches a very important week for us. Last Sunday, Bethany Cook was here to teach through the final character and the set of events in the Old Testament. And as a church, we have been walking for 21 weeks now through the story And we have been looking at key events and key people in Scripture in a chronological way. And the story takes a dramatic shift today as we move from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And I know some of you have been wondering, are we ever going to get to the new part? We're taking a long time to look at all of these Old Testament characters and these Old Testament events. And today is your day because we finally make it into the New Testament. And here's how I want the conversation to flow today. I want to begin by talking to you about the silent years. It's a fascinating concept that between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a pretty significant gap. There are some silent years there. And I want to talk about that. And then we're going to move from the silent years to asking and answering the question, why Jesus? Why is he such a big deal? Why is he so important? Why is he the central figure in all of Scripture? Why Jesus? So we're going to talk about the silent years, and then we're going to ask and answer the question, why Jesus? Does that make sense? Everybody okay with that? All right, here's our upper story statement for today, and that is Jesus is the upper story up close and personal. Jesus is the upper story. He is the big idea of what God is doing. And today we get to meet him up close and personal. I want you to think about this for just a moment. This is really an important thing. So once you're done writing, I want you to look up here because this is valuable for all of us. For 21 weeks, we have been getting a glimpse of God's upper story of redemption. And today, it's here. Everything culminates with the advent or 
the arrival of Jesus. And so many Old Testament characters whispered Jesus to us. Jesus, he's coming. A Messiah is coming. A rescuer is coming. And they whispered this centuries before Jesus ever arrived. And the day is here. Jesus has come. And so let's jump into the lower story. These are the actual historical events that are taking place on earth. And if you have a Bible or a device, I want you to find Matthew chapter 4. We're going to unpack a fascinating story here in just a bit. Matthew chapter 4. So while you're finding that, allow me to build a little bit of context here. As the Old Testament closes, something fascinating happens. There's been all of this talk and all of the conversations in the Old Testament centered around the fact that a rescuer is coming. And then something unique happens. There is silence, complete silence, meaning that there is no new information from God at all. Once the Old Testament is complete, no new communication from God. No more burning bushes, no more splitting seas, no more prophets coming to the people saying, here's what God wants you to know, here's how God wants you to behave, here's how you can honor God with your lives. There is nothing but silence. And here's what we need to know about that silence. It lasted for a long time. Now, I know many of you right now in your minds are asking, How long did the silence last, right? You're asking this. It's a great question. It lasted for 400 years. It's a long time, isn't it? 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Biblical scholars tell us that the last book written in the Old Testament is the book of Malachi or as we like to affectionately call him here at Valley Point, Malachi, the great Italian prophet who helped us understand the difference between sauce and gravy. That's what Malachi did. And and he did a few other things as well. But he wrote the last book in the Old Testament. And between the writing of Malachi and the arrival or the incarnation of Jesus, there are 400 years where there was no communication from God at all, absolutely nothing. I always thought it was kind of interesting how when Jesus was born, there wasn't a lot of fanfare because the Old Testament writers talked about how he was coming and they gave a lot of different prophecies about how that would happen and even the place where he would be born. So you would think people would be looking for this rescuer, for this Messiah. And when he came, you would think that there would just be a huge crowd there like, he's here, he's arrived, and this is a wonderful thing. But when you walk through the narrative of the birth of Jesus in the Gospels, you discover that's not the case. There weren't big welcoming crowds for his birth. There were a few unique characters, but no big crowds. And when you think about the silent years, it kind of makes sense. Because 400 years with no communication has a way of killing a dream, doesn't it? Like, this is not going to happen. God has forgotten about us. He doesn't care about us. He's no longer talking to us, and so... We're going to forget about him as well. That's the silent years. 
And then the silence was broken with the birth of Jesus. And everything began to change quickly. That's the silent years. Now, let's think about why Jesus. Why did he need to come to earth? What was the purpose of all of that? Because sometimes it would appear that God ran out of ideas, right? Like, I'm trying to help my people, and they keep walking away from me, and they keep turning their backs on me. And we have walked through many of these stories where God said, here's what I will do for you. If you are obedient to me, you will have my blessing. But if you're not obedient, then you will have punishment. And time after time, we have watched and observed as God people, God's people just chose to kind of walk away from him. And so the arrival of Jesus almost looks like God's out of ideas. Like, I don't know what to do about my people. Um, Jesus. Come here. Uh, Go down there and do some miraculous things, and perhaps this will change the whole situation. Well, that's not what happened at all. God didn't run out of ideas. The arrival of Jesus was incredibly purposeful, and so I want to share three reasons with you as to why Jesus is so important and why he is a big deal and why he is the central figure in all of scripture. Why Jesus? Well, number one, to reveal God to us. And that's actually what he did. When Jesus arrived, he showed us who God was. Think about this for a moment. Jesus showed us how God acted and how he loved and how compassionate he was and how he served and also how he sacrificed. So why Jesus? Why did he need to come and live amongst us? It's because he reveals, he shows God to us. Secondly, why Jesus? Well, to prove that he was morally qualified to be the Messiah. And by the way, if Jesus is not morally qualified to be the Messiah, then we are all in a lot of trouble. In Matthew chapter 3, we find that Jesus is an adult now. He's on the other side of the whole growing up stage. But yet nobody really knows about Jesus quite yet. There aren't big crowds following him. He hasn't begun his public ministry yet. He hasn't started performing a lot of miracles. That's Matthew chapter 3. Then what we discover in Matthew chapter 4 is that something very dramatic happens to him that speaks into Jesus being morally qualified to be our Messiah and our rescuer. And here's what happened to Jesus. He was tempted by Satan. Now, you may not know this about Jesus. He was actually tempted to sin. That actually happened. And it goes down like this. Here's Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, here's what you need to do. Tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
And here Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He's referring to the Old Testament scriptures. By the way, we get a beautiful picture here of the high value that Jesus placed on the Old Testament scriptures. He's quoting it here. Verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And this is very noteworthy here because even Satan himself understood and knew scripture enough to quote it. This is Psalm 91 here. And so the great enemy of God, the great hater of God, even knows Scripture. Very noteworthy. What does Jesus do with that? Verse 7, Jesus responded, The Scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. And here Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Verse 8, Next, The devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And here Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. What happens next? Then the devil went away, and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Yay, Jesus. Go Jesus, right? He did it. He beat Satan. This is wonderful. Well, why is this story here? Why does Matthew, the author, actually record this for us? Why does he put this down for all of us to be able to read here in 2016? What is the purpose of this event and Matthew recording this for us? Is it to give us some tips on how we can overcome temptation? I think there are some valuable thoughts that we can pull here on how we can have victory over temptation, but that is not why this is included in Matthew's gospel. There is a much bigger purpose here, and it is so rich. See, the gospel of Matthew is written to a Jewish audience and presents Jesus to them as their Messiah King. So we have to understand the purpose of the book of Matthew. Why did he write this? And we have to know that, otherwise we impose what we think Matthew was trying to say, and we can never do that when we look into Scripture. We've got to understand, what is the author trying to say here? And so Matthew presents Jesus as Messiah King to a Jewish audience, and so every event and every story that's recorded in Matthew is going to speak into that in some way. So what about this story? How does that speak into the bigger purpose of the book of Matthew where he's talking to a Jewish audience and saying, Jesus is worthy of being your Messiah King? Well, what we understand here is that Jesus is morally qualified. He is morally worthy to be their Messiah King and our Messiah King as well because he was able to overcome and defeat Temptation, And this is great news for all of us. Jesus 
is morally qualified to rescue all of us. So why Jesus? Why did he need to come to earth? Why all of this? The events that we walk through here in Holy Week? Well, part of it's to prove that he is morally qualified to be our Messiah King. And when we look into Matthew chapter 4, specifically him overcoming and defeating this temptation, helps us to know he is morally worthy to do this for us. It's great news for all of us. Why Jesus? One more thought, and that is to provide an effective sacrifice for sin. Think about this for a moment. Without the birth of Jesus, we have no rescuer. We have no savior. We have no one who can pay the price for our sin. And sin does require a payment. Jesus is the one who made that payment for us. He satisfied the demands of his father, giving us an extraordinary gift of life. So why Jesus? Why did he need to come? To reveal God to us, to prove that he was morally qualified to be our Messiah and our rescuer and to provide an effective sacrifice for sin. Okay, what does all of this mean for us then? What about my story? Well, I have just one application thought for us and here it is. The life of Jesus helps me understand the depth of God's love. It is for me. And I want to encourage each and every one of us to personalize this. We have to put ourselves into the story. See, the life of Jesus helps me to understand and to get and to know the depth of God's love and passion for all of us. It is truly for me. For a few moments, I want us to think about bestowed worth. What does bestowed worth mean? Well, bestowed worth can be described as something that you love just because. You don't have to explain it to anybody. You don't have to give all of the details. You don't have to have in-depth reasoning. You simply love because. Let me share a story with you. I want to introduce you to Bear. This is Bear. Can you say, hello, bear? Yeah, hello, bear. Bear is a very important part of our family. Now, I know he might not mean a lot to you, but bear in our family has bestowed worth. We love him just because. When Caden, one of my sons, turned one year, uh, one year old, we went out as a family and, and we got him bear. He has now been a part of our family for eight years, and he is incredibly important to Caden. He goes everywhere with him. And so because he's important to Caden, Bear has bestowed worth. He's valuable to all of us. A couple of weeks ago, Caden went on an overnight trip with another family, and whenever he goes on these trips, we always place Bear in his bag so that he has Bear with him. Well, Caden went away, and we, took, we made sure that Bear was in the bags, and we got a call from the family saying, where's Bear? There's imbalance with Caden, and he's not going to survive the trip if you don't find Bear quickly. 
And Tanya, my wife, said, well, that's strange. I know I packed bear in his bags. He's got to be there. And they're like, there's no bear. Well, what we didn't know is that Cambry, our five-year-old daughter, had gone into the bag, unbeknownst to us, and taken Bear out, and she hid him. (laughs) Which is very creative. Cambry is not able to overcome temptation. (laughs) A lot of sinning in our house, which is amazing. So Caden is without Bear. I think he survived the trip. But when he got home, oh, the reunion with Bear was absolutely remarkable. Bear has bestowed worth to us. Again, I know he doesn't mean anything to you. You've never even met Bear before today. But to us and to our family, Bear has bestowed worth. Now, I know that's a goofy illustration, but it helps us to get the concept, doesn't it? By the way, we feel this way about our kids and our grandkids, don't we? We don't have to explain our love for them. We don't have to give all of the details about them or probably anybody else in our family. We love them simply because they have bestowed worth to us, and I believe this is how God feels about you. We have bestowed worth, each and every one of us. doesn't matter who you are or what the circumstances of your life may be, we are valuable to God. We are worth it to him. We have bestowed worth. The ancient world did not teach this. And when we think about Matthew and who he's writing to, he's writing to an ancient culture. And this is not something that they would have understood. In this culture, people did not all have bestowed worth, especially children. In the Roman Empire... Unwanted children were simply discarded and left to die in a practice called exposure. They were just left outside and the elements would eventually kill them. In this culture, the head of the household had the legal right to determine the life or death of any given family member. And this was normally determined within the first eight days of their life. Plutarch, a Greek historian said up until that eight-day mark, most of these children were treated like plants rather than human beings. Exposure. A lot of different reasons for exposure in this culture. It might have been poverty. I just can't afford any more children. Could have been sickness or deformity or even gender, and these children were just left to die. The Jews were opposed to this practice, of exposure, and they would often come behind and rescue these children. And then you have somebody like Jesus who comes along and says this, bring the children to me. See, nobody in this culture that was in authority said that. But to Jesus, children had bestowed worth. If you've ever been involved in foster care, or if you have adopted a child, you understand this. You live this. You get this. Your children have bestowed worth simply because. Beyond all of that, this child from Bethlehem, he grew up and he loved sinners and outcasts and the weak and the sick and the marginalized 
just because they had bestowed worth. And here's what he did. Here's what Jesus said. He said that the kingdom of God is available to all, meaning all have bestowed worth. And I don't think that people got it. As a matter of fact, I still don't think we get it. But based on why Jesus, why did God send his only son? Why did he come and walk through everything that he endured? Well, he did all of that for you and for me because God has bestowed worth. He values each and every one of us. You are loved. And so as we think about the life of Jesus, it helps me to understand the depth of God's love. He did all of this for me. Personalize this. Place yourself into the story and understand that today, no matter who you are, you have bestowed worth. And the life of Jesus helps us to understand the depth of God's love. It is for me. Father, we are so thankful for some time to consider the life of Jesus. And we have finally made it into the New Testament. And we're excited about that because it's here that we come to understand the true depth of your love and that Jesus is your big idea. And we get to meet him up close and personal. And he is amazing. Boy, he shows us who you are. He gives us a great picture And not only that, God, but he proves that he's morally qualified to be our Messiah. And we've looked at Matthew chapter 4, and we're thankful that Jesus was able to overcome that temptation. God, in addition to that, we come to understand that all of us have bestowed worth. We are worthy to you, so much so that you sent your only son to live and die for us. He was the one who paid the price for our sins to satisfy your righteous demands, giving to us this extraordinary gift of eternal life. We're so thankful for the gift and the incarnation of Jesus. I'd like for you just to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. You know, maybe today for the very first time you're understanding there is a God who loves me and cares about me. And I have bestowed worth in his eyes. It's just an incredible thought. And maybe you're understanding that for the very first time. And you're ready to embrace the gift that he offers to you, the gift of Jesus, this extraordinary gift of eternal life. Then I just want to encourage you from your heart to God's ears, right where you sit, just cry out to him. God tells us that if you trust in the work of my son alone, I will accept you and be your forever friend. And so right now, from your heart to his ears, just tell him that you're trusting in Jesus alone to save you. Just tell him that. Tell him that you want him to rescue you and to lead you. Thank him for paying the price for your sins. He was morally qualified to do that. And he satisfied the demands of his father by doing that for you. 
but he doesn't demand that we trust. It's our choice. So just tell him, you're thankful for him paying the price for your sins. Thank him for rescuing you and for saving you. And ask him now, if you've never done this before, to be your leader and your forgiver. If that's something that you've offered up to God for the very first time, I want to say to you that you have a friend who will never leave you. God invites us, trust in me, trust in me, trust in me. It's a great choice you've made. Maybe that's a decision that you've already made. You've trusted in Christ. You believe in him. You're following him. Then I want to encourage you right now from where you sit, your heart to God's ears, just let him know that you are so thankful that he purposely sent Jesus just for you. Thank him for that. Thank him for this extraordinary gift that you've embraced. Take a moment and praise him for having bestowed worth for you. God, we are thankful for this morning and for the opportunity to look at Jesus up close and personal. He is your big idea. God, all of Scripture is your story of reaching out to rescue what you love the most, and that's people, that's us. We are thankful, so thankful, that you put into motion this unbelievable plan the extraordinary gift of Jesus that is available to all. That's what he said. The kingdom is available to all, meaning that all have bestowed worth. Thank you for loving us and for rescuing rescuing us. God, as we move through this holy week and think about what you walked through and what you endured for us, your death and eventual resurrection, may we be forever grateful for the gift of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.